are said even today all across churches in the world, and I use Christianity in a loose term, very broad term, is what we've heard today and what we will read this morning, Psalm 23 and the Lord's Prayer. Uh, even people who don't go to church um, know the Lord's Prayer or Psalm 23. It's most often one of those two um, is either read or printed in some fashion uh, on just about every funeral that I've ever had part of or been to, either in the bulletin, in the service, or at the graveside. It is also used in music, as you've seen today in two different ways, uh, Psalm 23, two different renditions of Psalm 23, also the Lord's Prayer is, um, uh, was put to music as, and um, probably very a famous song that we, we hear is the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven. And uh, as we've come to this text in Luke chapter 11, if you're new with us, we're working through the Gospel of Luke and concluded chapter 10 last week with the story of Mary, Martha, and the Lord Jesus. And then we move into chapter 11, and Jesus goes into a discussion for the first 13 verses on the topic of prayer. Prayer. Last week, I closed with the application and the comment that God wants you. He was teaching Martha and Mary that God wants your eyes and He wants your ears. Mary had let, or Martha had left the most important thing. Mary was there seated at the feet of Jesus, listening to His words. I was sitting at a restaurant with my wife the other day on a time away. And as we were sitting in the restaurant, we were, we were talking, and we looked around uh, the, the room and noticed how many couples and families were all on their phones. Have you noticed that? If you just take a note, um, when you go out to eat at a nice, maybe a nice sit-down restaurant, you look around and see how many people are on their phones. One family that we saw, husband and wife, Children and teenagers, all of them were on the phone. Not a word was being spoken at the table. They were all, yet they were all communicating. Right? They were all sending texts and messages and talking to different people. But they weren't communicating with one another. They lost that, that important aspect of talking together. Last week, Jesus, we left the scene from or it concluded a scene of the Lord Jesus Christ in an intimate setting in someone's home, having a meal, holding a Bible study in the living room. While Martha was making the supper, Mary came and sat at the feet of Jesus, and her eyes and ears were tuned in to every word that Jesus was preaching and teaching. He had her heart. And now Jesus moves in, or Luke moves to tell us about Jesus' teaching His disciples on prayer. So look at Luke 11, verse 1. And it came to pass that as He was praying in a certain place, when He ceased, when He finished, one of His disciples said unto Him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught His disciples. And He said unto them, When you pray... 
Say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, pray that you would help us as we look at the time that we have today. The introduction of this prayer. As we talk about prayer. Uh, forgive us when we fail to talk to you. You want our eyes. You want our ears. But you also want our mouth and our mind, our thinking, all connected to our heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The greatest privilege that a believer has is to come into the presence of the Almighty God and pray. Three things to note into the introduction today about Luke concerning this Lord's Prayer. If you notice in verse 1, and it came to pass that as he was praying. The Lord's prayer is presented in Luke in the context of a normal, everyday habit that Jesus was involved in. When he was praying in a certain place. You see, prayer was a normal daily thing that Jesus did. He always did this. The disciples saw Jesus in prayer all of the time. The normal everyday habit and practice of our Savior was praying. And when on occasion they saw Him pray, He finished. It stirred the disciples up as He was modeling before Him this regular normal practice. We find there are seven times in the Gospel of Luke where he records Jesus in prayer. The first time is in chapter 3 and verse 21 at Jesus' baptism. There at his baptism, the Bible says, Jesus prayed. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, turn over there, it's just a few chapters behind. In Luke chapter 5 verse 16, notice what Luke says. He says in that verse, he, he said, And when he withdrew himself into the wilderness... He prayed. The verb is in the continual sense, uh, in, the, in the continual as far as the verb, meaning that he was praying. This was something he did regularly. Chapter 5, verse 16. Only Luke tells us that he did this often in this way. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, we are told he went into a mountain to pray. And he did that before choosing his disciples. In chapter 9 and verse 18, as he was alone with his disciples, he prayed. Luke chapter 9 and verse 28, you can see that in that verse. He took Peter, James, and John a little further into the mountain and he prayed. Prayed. And then the sixth time in Luke is 11 verse 1, where he is in the place of prayer. The seventh time, if you want to know that and note it, is in chapter 22. In chapter 22, in verse 32, the Bible tells us he was in a garden. 
the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying. You see, we will find Jesus praying on several different occasions. This one in chapter 11 and verse 1 is going to be the last time Luke is going to tell us he's in prayer. It's not the last time he prays, but it's the last time Luke will record us uh, that he prays until he's praying in chapter 22 in the Garden of Gethsemane. However, we know that this was a daily thing that Jesus did. We know that Jesus prayed on all kinds of occasions throughout the Gospels. He prayed before meals. He prayed at night. He prayed in the morning. He prayed while he was on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He prayed in public. He prayed in private. You know, too many people, there's a problem, only pray when there's something major that happens. It's like something that we do, but we only do it on major occasions. Like Sunday morning. Right? Once a week. We come, we're going to pray. And maybe sometimes you do. You pray Sunday. So maybe before a ball game. I was attending a ball game not too long ago. And they prayed before the ball game. Interesting enough. They prayed before the ball game. Maybe at a big family event like Thanksgiving. When all your families gather around and you get together and it's the last time you saw each other was a year before and you just gather around and the family's there and just a big family prayer. Um, maybe when someone's in the hospital or when you're getting ready to go to the doctor to hear the news, you pray. You see, we should pray for major events. That's, that's a good thing to do. We should pray for our meal. That's a major event of your day. Pray for it. Thank God for it. That's what Jesus did. And he models that practice for us to pray for our meal. Pray in the services. We should do that. We should pray at funerals. We should pray at the hospital. We should pray at ball games and ask the Lord for safety before and after and give him thanks for what he's done. We should pray when we gather with our families. We should pray at major events. But some people, that's the only time they ever pray. But we see that Jesus had a routine in his life. He not only prayed at the cross, that's pretty major. Not only prayed at his baptism, that's a pretty major event. Or when he was getting ready to feed the 5,000, that's a major event too. Jesus prayed at, at some major events. He, he would talk to the Father on certain occasions that were pretty major. But I, I don't want you to miss the fact that Jesus had a regular daily habit of prayer. Jesus' life was filled with prayer. He prayed on all kinds of occasions. He prayed when he was heavy in heart. He prayed when he was together with his disciples. He prayed in the spirit of thanksgiving. He prayed before he made decisions. He prayed when he was in pain. He prayed when, when on all kinds of different times and occasions and, and to give thanks to the Lord and in prayer. Notice, not only was this just a normal time, but the place, it says here, there was a place that he prayed. This is included a place. Jesus had places of prayer. In fact, later in the Passion Week, when Jesus leaves the upper room and Judas is out, comes back to the upper room to find the Savior, and he's not there, the text tells us, the Gospel records, that Judas knew a place where Jesus often prayed just happened to be where Jesus was. He knew a place. All four Gospels record that place of prayer. 
This meant that Jesus had places that he went to pray. Do you have a place of prayer? In Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to go there in just a few moments, but in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talked about a place of prayer. When you pray, go into your private place, into your closet and pray to your Father in secret who knows what you need, not in public. Now on that, the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll see in a moment, was talking about uh, the, the personal intimate relationship to be seen of God and not of men. However, notice there is a place that Jesus wants us to pray. When I was a youth pastor, an assistant pastor many years ago, I remember I used to have a place behind the auditorium in a back closet Underneath the baptistry in the storage area, there was a restroom that was back there. And I would go to get away from the students, to get away from some of the class, the busyness of, of, uh, of, of, the, of the building that was happening on a regular basis. And there was only one place where nobody else was. And it was behind the auditorium. I could go back there and sit on the steps going up to the baptistry and take a time of prayer. My dad would tell us about a time when he was uh, in early ministry. There was a big field behind the church. And back in the back of that field, there was a bush. And he would often walk the field and go behind yeah, where that bush was. And that was his time of prayer. I have a place that I often pray around the church here. And when the auditorium is dark, and I just kind of sneak in here and sit on the back row or on the front row or sometimes just walk to the auditorium, just take a time of prayer. Sometimes I'm up on the cemetery just walking around uh, just to find a, a place or maybe out on the soccer field just taking time throughout the week. And those become special. And I asked you this morning, do you have a place where you pray? Sometimes it's in my car on the way to church or going to someone's house or making a visit. There's different places that you can find throughout your room. Maybe you have a special chair. Maybe in your bedroom. Um, maybe you have a closet. Maybe you have a backyard. Maybe somewhere where you go. Um, I know one of my pastor friends would, would walk every morning and he would carry his prayer journal. And in the neighborhood, he would make his laps with his prayer journal and he would pray. Do you pray? Do you have a place that you pray? Do you have a routine? Paul would tell us in the book of Ephesians, praying always with all prayer and supplication. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. It's part of our equipment. It's part of our armor. It's important. It's vital. So this Lord's prayer is mentioned to us and it comes about when Jesus teaches his disciples on an occasion and in the context of Jesus' daily habit and place of prayer when he was finished. Notice the Lord's prayer comes in the context after his disciples specifically ask about prayer. Look down at the verse. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. You see, the reason Jesus gives the model prayer here is because his disciples asked him to. Now, in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, 
It comes in the middle of a sermon that Jesus is giving about prayer in Matthew chapter 6. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It happened earlier in Jesus' ministry. Luke did not record the Lord's Prayer in that occasion when he was talking about the, the Sermon on the Mount. Luke actually gives it later in Jesus' ministry in Luke chapter 11 when Jesus was headed towards Jerusalem only a few months before His crucifixion. After 99 verses of discipleship, chapter 9 and 10, when He sent out the 12 and the 70, on a different occasion, Luke tells us that Jesus gives the model prayer specifically because the, the disciples asked Him. Matthew chapter 6 says Jesus gives the Lord's prayer because He was in the middle of a sermon talking about prayer and gave the Lord's prayer. You say, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that Matthew and Luke contradict one another? No, it means that these were at two separate occasions. Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer during the Sermon on the Mount in a larger discussion in Matthew chapter 6, earlier in His ministry. Then later in Jesus' ministry, as recorded in Luke 11, His disciples say, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And Jesus again reaches back to what He had already spoken and what He had been passing around and gave the the model prayer. However, in Luke, uh, it is a little bit different, okay? If you have a different version of the Bible than the King James or the New King James, you will notice that there were some things omitted than what I read earlier. The ESV, the American Standard Version, and the NIV come from a different family of manuscripts, and some things in the Lord's Prayer in Luke are omitted such as, who art in heaven. You probably, if you have a different um, translation, it probably was not in there. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Deliver us from evil. Why is there a difference? Well, it's because there's a textual difference. There are two uh, different manuscripts of families, of manuscripts, and, um, and, and some of the manuscripts in Luke 11 have those phrases omitted. But they are in Matthew 6. So it's not an argument of, of, well, is there an error in the text? No, there's not an error in the text. We have the information and it is accurate information. However, in, um, in, in some manuscripts it would have those phrases omitted or not. You say, well, Pastor, why does that have anything to do? Well, because some of you probably were scratching your head when I was reading just a few minutes ago. If you also notice at the end, Luke doesn't give a, a, a detailed description of Matthew 6 because he doesn't conclude the prayer with thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. He doesn't include that. So Luke's version is a little different. That's okay. But when we connect them together, we see the full of the prayer that Jesus modeled. You know that this was something that Jesus often would do. Now, the point is, Jesus gives this model prayer after the disciples asked Him about prayer. Interesting, they had cast out demons, they had healed the sick, they had preached the kingdom of God, and yet, when they wanted Jesus to teach them something, they wanted Him to teach them about prayer. They don't ask, teach us how to preach. 
Uh, they don't ask. Teach us how to wave your hand over the ocean thing and say, peace be still. That was really cool. Lord, teach us how to use our gifts better so that we can, you know, we can serve and, and we, can, you know, we can do this and we can do that. Teach us, how, teach us how to draw a crowd. That's not what they say. Teach us how to use object lessons and to tell parables just like you do, Jesus. That would be really great if we could learn how to tell those types of stories like that. Teach us how to combat the Pharisees. You do that so well. You're able to stand against an hostile crowd and you're able to ask the right questions and you're able to take the Old Testament and put it in the right way where you can just really silence the opposition. Teach us how to do that. Teach us how to be kind and hospitable to people that irritate us like Peter. Lord, I just admire your patience with Peter. Teach us how to do that. That would have been me. No, they say, Lord, of all the things that you do, would you teach us to pray? You see, the disciples realized that what was vitally important in their walk with the Lord was prayer. As the disciples grew in their faith, notice they've been with Him for a couple years by now, and they've watched Him, and finally it came point where one of the disciples nudged the others, and as they watched Jesus get up off His knees from that place of prayer, maybe behind the bush, maybe behind the house, maybe around the corner, maybe it was in the Garden of Gethsemane like one of those other times, and as He got up from His prayer, one of the disciples said, we've got to ask Him how He does that. And would He teach us to do the same thing. I want to tell you a key part of your learning and growing in your relationship with God is going to be your prayer life. Your private place where you get alone with God. It's key to your relationship with God. Prayer is dependence upon the Lord. Not just in hard times, but in everyday life. Prayer is communion with God getting your heart and your eyes and your ears, but also communicating with Him and letting Him communicate with you in your heart in a spirit of prayer. Do you have a time that you pray? I want to just draw your attention. You will not grow as a disciple if you first and foremost don't sit at the feet of Jesus and have a devotion time with God. That's the end of chapter 10. But you will not grow in your relationship with God as a disciple of Christ if you do not get on your knees and have a time of prayer. Like the people in the restaurant that are sitting at the table. They're not looking at one another. They're not listening to one another. And they're not talking to one another. A relationship will die and dwindle if it does not have eyes, ears, Attention, heart, and communication. So we see that. And I also want to draw your attention in verse 1 to the fact that the context of the Lord's prayer comes in Luke not just because Jesus was modeling it before the disciples that prompted a question, Lord, teach us to pray. But if you notice the last portion of verse 1, as John the disciple, the John the Baptist, taught his disciples to pray. So this prayer comes out of the context of John the Baptist. Now where did he come from? He hadn't been around. In fact, he's dead. He hadn't been around for chapters. 
And yet the disciples still remember John prayed. John had come up earlier in a question in chapter 5 and verse 33 when the Pharisees said, Why did John's disciples fast and make prayers, but yours eat and drink with publicans and sinners? You see, the Pharisees actually asked the question about John. What was it about John the Pharisees knew? He fasted and he prayed. He taught his disciples how to fast and his disciples how to pray. And when Jesus' disciples come and ask him about prayer, they also connect it with the habit and teaching of John the Baptist. Did you notice that? What does that tell you about John the Baptist? Before Jesus ever taught his disciples about prayer, John was teaching his disciples about prayer. John was teaching his disciples about getting alone with God and praying. John was not just a good preacher that everyone came out to see. John was not just a bold faith defender that stood for the truth. John was not just a good baptizer which made him a good Baptist. John was not just a model person on some kind of weird diet that he had or fashion clothes that he wore and was known for. John was a man that was known for prayer. John taught people how to pray. Luke 7 in verse 28, Jesus said that John was the greatest of all the prophets that had ever lived. John is already dead and gone and yet he still comes up in discussions with the disciples of Jesus. And what is he remembered for? He's remembered for his prayer. You see, you may not be a good preacher. I may not be a good preacher. You may not be a good Sunday school teacher, or book writer, or Bible professor, or you may not be a good deacon, or pastor, or gifted song leader like Pastor Crawford. You may not be a choir member who can use your voice and sing, or play an instrument off to the side. You may have never worked as a church secretary, or even been a worker man like David Hewitt. But you can be a good prayer. Every person, can talk to God. Every person can have a relationship and come before the throne of grace, before the Father in heaven, and pour out their heart and commune with the Heavenly Father. I remember my great-grandparents who lived in, my nanny Rigney who lived in to, her, uh, to be 98 years old. My mom went and lived with them in the early 70s during the time of her years in college. And one of the things that she remembered about her nanny and papa is that in the morning when she was getting ready for college classes and before she would leave, she would see their bedroom door cracked and they would be kneeling by their bed together as husband and wife praying. That was what they did. And I remember when she passed away at 98, as a, as a young person, my heart broke because I knew every Sunday morning that I got up and preached, my name was lifted up to the Lord in prayer. 
Now, I know there are many others who continue to pray for me as well on Sundays. And I get texts from some of you and some from Wisconsin and Illinois and some of my family members and my grandmother, but I miss that prayer from my great-grandmother. You have somebody that prays for you faithfully? Thank God for them. Do you pray faithfully? You see, John was remembered after he was dead and gone as a man of prayer. Are you a man of prayer? Are you a woman of prayer? Can I just leave you, because we're not going to get to the prayer this morning, and we can, we, we can take it into a couple different sessions on Sunday morning, and we probably will end up doing that just before Christmas. Or we could just overview it and just move on and, and use it very, very quickly. However, we're so common with the Lord's Prayer, I, I don't want to just brush it off. This is the first time in my ministry here at Calvary that we've come to the Lord's Prayer. So I think it would be good for us to take some time and just see what Jesus is talking about in this prayer. But can I warn you just in conclusion today about prayer? The danger. The devil hates when you pray. And that's why I think and I believe that one of the most critical areas in our life that is being attacked by the devil is your personal prayer life. You may read some text, you may come to church, you may listen in the services, and to some extent the devil is, maybe it irritates him, but what is going to bother him most is when you go home and on a regular basis, you get alone with God in prayer. That irritates him because he knows how powerful and important it is to your walk. That's why I believe so few of us pray like we should. Because the devil has gotten victory in our life, in our prayer life. Another area that I think is so vital in our life, what has happened with prayer, is, is I believe of any area in our life that is going to be more fake and impersonal, it can be prayer. Jesus addresses this on the Sermon on the Mount when He contrasts between what you do in public and who you really are in private. You see, Jesus in His prayer in Matthew 6 before He gives the Lord's Prayer is going to hit the fake pharisaical system of religion that had morphed into a sham and a show of religious fakes who looked like everything was well between them and God but in fact it wasn't so turn over just for a few moments that we have to Matthew chapter 6 please and listen to what Jesus warns his disciples when he talks about prayer in Matthew 6 in verse 5, now Jesus will deal with three issues of religiosity that was happening in Judaism in their day. Almsgiving, that is recorded in chapter 6 and verse 1. When, take heed when you do not your alms before men. That means giving. Giving was a was a very important thing in the, in the Jewish week, just like it is part of our week. It is important as we give. Jesus says, I want to warn you about giving. It can get fake and phony. Don't do it that way. Then Jesus in verse 5 will talk about prayer. And I believe what he says here in these verses is it can get fake and phony. 
I want to warn you about prayer. And then in verse um, 16, after Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer and talks about prayer, in verse 16 of chapter 6, Jesus talks about fasting. If you're not careful, fasting can be fake and phony, just like it was in Judaism. So we don't have time to walk through uh, Matthew chapter 6. I, I don't want to deal with that. You can study that yourself. However, I want to jump in and just see some cautions for us about our prayer life. David Legge states on his teaching of the Lord's Prayer that we have two extremes in evangelical Christianity today. Number one, he calls it liberal emotionalism, which is all heart but no head. These people think about how they feel and where their emotions are and they go with the flow of the crowd and just do what makes them feel good and gives them emotional high. That's one side. Liberal, what he calls liberal emotionalism. And then there's an extreme on the other side of what he calls conservative morbism. This is what he says is religious deadness. This is all about the head, but there's no heart. These are people who are just out for pure religion. It's just duty. The Bible condemns both. I believe what Jesus is dealing with is he's dealing with this, this show of religiosity in, in life. And he points out prayer, the wrong kind of prayer. Of all the people in the, in, in the world, Jewish people should know about prayer. However, they had become so deceived. Prayer had become something that was so, uh, such a religious duty that was just done over and over again. They had pre-written prayers and pre-set prayers. Every morning and every evening, they would quote the Shema as a prayer over and over and over again. They would rush through it, say it as quick as they can, and then run out the door. They also had what was called the Shemona, which were 18 written prayers for every special occasion, and three times a day they were to stop what they were doing and say these prayers. If you didn't have enough time to say all 18, the Jewish rabbis had condensed them into a smaller form of just cliche words that you could say to get through them in a short amount of time if you were quick on your day. I remember traveling to Israel from New York and a group of Orthodox Jews were on the plane headed to the Holy Land. And right about a certain time, I was kind of reading and had my headphones on. And all of a sudden, all of these Orthodox Jews with their hats and their, and their black garments, the men all the way down to the little boys who were all dressed the same, stood up in the plane all at one time. I thought there was going to be a takeover. I didn't know what was going on. They all stood up, walked to the aisle, and walked to the middle of the plane, facing east. And all of a sudden, all at once, at a certain, almost like a bell went off, they all started praying. And for about 15 minutes, about 50 Jewish Orthodox people in the middle of the aisle, no one could get to the bathroom. They were all standing in the aisle. And they were rocking back and forth and saying over and over and over again in Hebrew for 15 minutes. When the 15 minutes were up, 
all of them at the same time turned around, went back to their seats and sat down, put the earphones back on and started their process. You know, three times a day. They do their prayers, even today. And that was the normal thing in the time of Jesus. You see, what had happened is prayer had become a limited thing that was only done in those occasions for those 15 minutes. But you didn't pray any other time of the day. I want to tell you that the Lord wants to caution us about our prayer life when it becomes just for the public eye. Look down in chapter 6 of Matthew in verse 5. And when you pray, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. So what Jesus is saying, this is what Jesus is dealing with. He's saying there are some people who when they pray, they only do it so other people will see them. The word see that Jesus uses, in the, it comes uh, from the Greek word where we get our English rendition theater from. It means a show. Martin Lord-Jones said this, we tend to think of sin as, as we see it in rags and in the gutters of life. We look at a drunkard or a poor fellow and we say, there's sin. But that is not the essence of sin. To have a real picture and a true understanding of sin is you must look at some great saint, some unusually devout and devoted person who look, look at him when he's on his knees in the presence of God and notice his self and selfishness, how he thinks of himself and begins to worship himself instead of worshiping God, because his prayer life is all about him and to be seen of him. Can I ask you this morning, do you pray only to be seen by your family or the church or the pastor? Does your private prayer reflect your public prayer? Do you mean what you say? I think also the Lord would, would caution us not just about praying to be seen of men, but also praying to be uh, meaningful from the heart, not meaningless words. Look at uh, verse um, 7. But when you pray, use not vain repetition as the heathens do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. One translation says, empty words or stammering or repeated phrases, babbling or chanting words over and over again. This was a false and fake relationship, a false intimacy. He says here, this is the way the pagans do, over and over again. It's like the Buddhist temples who have the wheels where you walk in and you spin the wheels and they say that every time the wheel goes around, there's a prayer that goes up. So the more you spin it, the faster you spin it, the more prayers that get to heaven. Or maybe like in Catholicism when they light a candle and the belief that the candle or the light of the candle ascends to heaven will continue to reach God as long as the candle is burning. Or maybe saying the rosary, counting off over and over again a Hail Mary. 
Can I say this, maybe even in the charismatic groups who today repeat the same words over and over again until the words themselves cannot even be understood and it becomes jibber-jabber, mumbling in a weird, chanting, unintelligible way. But before we look at other people, it's important for us that we have our own problem in our own world in conservatives where we may say the same thing over and over and over again. Certain words, certain phrases that we repeat. You see, Jesus is not talking about, He's not forbidding repeating requests. He's not, he's not talking about that we can't say the same types of prayer or come to the Lord with the same needs over and over again. In fact, when he talks about the woman who comes in the parable, he talks about the fact that she continues to bring her requests to the Lord. What Jesus is condemning here is the repetition of meaningless prayer, thoughtless prayers that come out of our life to appear to be religious when in fact our heart is not with the Lord. I caution you about your prayer life. Maybe you would say this morning, you say, Pastor, I don't even pray at all. I don't pray during the week. I don't pray in any form or fashion in any way. And when you went to prayer today, I kept my eyes open. I looked around. I, I don't have a prayer life in any way or fashion. Can I tell you, you better examine why. If you don't pray, maybe it's because you don't know the one you should be praying to. It could be that the reason you don't pray is because you're not a child of God and you can't say, Our Father. Maybe in your life you don't pray because you've walked away from your Heavenly Father. You don't think He'll hear you. So what's the use? Listen, the Lord wants to hear you pray. He wants to hear you come back to Him. He wants you to open your heart. He's ready and willing like the prodigal father, the, the a prodigal son's father who was waiting for the son to come back. If you will open your heart today and repent of your sins and come back to the Savior, He wants to hear you pray. Maybe you don't pray today because you don't see the importance of it at all. We'll let the pastor pray and the deacons pray and the Sunday school teacher pray and some other people pray. But as a disciple and as a believer, I, I, that's just not my thing. Can I encourage you today in your, in your life, you will not grow until you see the importance of your relationship with God in prayer. And can I warn you this morning about the fake and phony spirit that can come in our prayer life. And Jesus here in Matthew 6 and in Luke 11, Jesus deals with the topic of prayer. He's going to talk a lot about prayer. He gives a model for us to pray. But before He does that, He shows to the disciples what a life of prayer looks like. Does the Lord have your mind? Does He have your eyes and ears? Are you a man or woman of prayer. Father, I pray as we close today. Lord, would you warn us about fake and phony religion where we do something out of duty to get, to get it over with. Whether that's our Bible reading or our church attendance or our prayer life. Lord, 
if there is someone here today that they don't pray. They don't pray because they don't know Jesus. They, don't, they can't cry out, our Father. They don't know you as the shepherd in a personal way. With this morning, they realize their need to, to seek forgiveness of their sins and to become born again. Lord, that's the most important decision that they can make. You long to hear them say, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus to save me. Lord, would they do that this morning? Then if there are some believers here who have failed in their prayer life, Lord, they've, been, um, they've, they've seen this morning from these verses the importance of prayer as a disciple. Lord, they've walked away or they've become rebellious or this week they only pray when important occasions come or just for their meal. But if they were honest before you today, their prayer life is, is, um, is absent, weak. Lord, would you help them to realize the importance that, that they, are, they are losing in their relationship and their growth with you with heads bowed and eyes closed for the invitation before we close in the service today, maybe the Lord's spoken to your heart on this topic of prayer. And you've examined your last week and the Holy Spirit's convicted you that you've not been on your knees like you should. And I use that as a, just an analogy. You, you can be in your car, you can be on your bed, you, you can be walking around in your neighborhood or in your back, back, backyard you need to have a time of prayer. You need to have a place of prayer. And the Holy Spirit has convicted you through the Word this morning that you need to get alone with the Lord. Maybe this morning you say, Pastor Cochran, um, I need to strengthen my prayer life this week. The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and you'd raise your hand and you'd say, Pastor, would you pray with me or pray for me that my prayer life would be strengthened this week? I've been weak at that. How many would say, Pastor, would you pray with me about my prayer life. Thank you all across the auditorium. You say, well, Pastor, I, I pray, but I pray in, in a spirit of hypocrisy. I don't, I don't pray with a genuineness. Just do it for others to see, or I have a tendency to say the same thing over and over again, and I realize that, that my prayer life has become something that's just a duty that I do and I, I, need to, I need to get back to being serious and genuine with my prayer life. And you say, Pastor, would you pray with me? My, my prayers have, I do pray, but I have a tendency to, to become repetitious and fake with my prayers. And the Holy Spirit has spoken to my heart this morning. And you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? How many have, have come to that? All right, thank you, several. Thank you. Maybe this morning... You say, Pastor, I don't pray at all. And the reason I don't pray is because my relationship with God is not what it should be. Either I don't know Him as my Savior or I have run away from Him as my Heavenly Father. And the Holy Spirit's convicted me that I either need to get saved, I need to trust Christ as my Savior, or, or as a believer, I need to get things right with the Lord and and get back into a prayer life with the Lord. And you'd say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I, I need to deal with this. I don't pray at all. 
and I don't have a relationship with God like I should. And you would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Is there anyone like that in the auditorium today? All right, thank you. You can put your hand down. Thank you. We would love to share with you how you can know Jesus as your Savior. If you are a believer and you've walked away from the Lord, he longs to hear you say, I'm sorry. He's willing to forgive you of your sins, and he wants to hear you pray. So right now, with, with heads bowed and eyes closed before we close the service, you go to the Lord. And you make that relationship back right with him. Or if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you right now trust Christ. Seek his forgiveness. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for reminding us of prayer. And Lord, for even giving us a model by which we can follow in our prayer time, some some words to say and, and a spirit behind what we should say. Thank you for teaching your disciples in this fashion that we can even learn how to pray. Lord, before we ever get to the Lord's Prayer, we, we've got to examine our habit and our pattern and our personal time and our place. Would you forgive us where we fail you and where we fail to communicate with you? Help us not be like the family that, that is um, 